Hello and welcome to another bonus feature from the Folklore Podcast. This is the second of three interviews which I recorded in person at the UK Ghost Story Festival in Derby recently. In this one, I chat with author Camilla Bruce, a Norwegian writer of speculative and historical fiction. I was delighted to have the chance to grab a few minutes with Camilla, who'd come to the UK to present a panel at the Ghost Story Festival, before driving to London for a book signing, and then flying straight back to Norway. A proper whistle-stop tour. Here's our interview. So Camilla, welcome. We are sitting here at the UK Ghost Story Festival. You did a presentation yesterday. Did it go well? Yeah, I believe so. I think so. It felt good for me anyway. And what did you talk about in your presentation? I talked about uh, my new book, uh, The Witch in the World, but we also talked a bit about my previous novels. Excellent. And we'll cover all of that in a moment. Before we start, though, I'll just ask you to say a little bit for people about yourself and your background and the work and the writing that you do. Um, My name is Camilla Bruce and I am Norwegian. So I'm just visiting the UK today. And uh, I have written four novels that are published in the UK and the US. Mm-hmm. Half of them are speculative fiction, so there's where all the ghosts and goblins live. <laughs> and half are um, historical crime novels based on true events, very specifically vintage, vintage female serial killers. An excellent subject. Do you find that those are two very different styles of writing, or have you got some kind of crossover between the two, do you think? In my head, they are all siblings, of course, but uh, they are different, and they are different genres, and uh, I find interesting things with both genres, and Mm -hmm. interesting um, challenges with both genres as well. So let's talk a little bit about your speculative work then. You're Norwegian, so you're drawing on Scandinavian stories perhaps a lot in, in that work. What, what's the kind of style of folklore that's important over there that you reflect in your books? Well, um, since we're in the UK, I can say that a lot of the... Um, Folklore in Scandinavia is related somehow to the folklore in the UK. Mm-hmm. And we do have uh, a lot of uh, creatures in common. It's, uh, for instance, uh, the Nook, which is uh, like the Scandinavian Kelpie, yes. which I have used in my newest book. And uh, uh, I've also heard someone say somewhat uh, um, not entirely impressed that they thought that the the Scandinavian fairies sounded like the Celtic fairies with tails. And, you know, that's not that wrong, Mm. because I think they're cousins in a way. They have uh, adapted to a different environment and a different Mm. landscape. Mm. And I don't know where it started, where the fairies were born, if it was here or if it was in Scandinavia, but I do have a lot of things in common. Mm. Yes, and I mean, the, the two countries are not that too far distant, and you know, the, there would have been a lot of movement between the countries historically, so stories do travel in that way, don't they? Is there still a lot of 
belief in Scandinavia in any of these sorts of stories, or are they very much in the past? I mean, in the UK, there are certainly pockets of belief in fairies. There are plenty of people who believe in ghosts as a supernatural concept. Is it the same over there? Yes, I would say it's pretty much the same in Scandinavia. Most people don't believe, you know, on the surface. But then you have, like, superstitions. People believe a little anyway. And a lot of people put out porridge for the Nisse, which is sort of a barn brownie. Yes. With a red cap, but it isn't a red cap. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at Christmas, because, you know, the Nisse can be really, really angry and difficult if he doesn't get his, his Christmas porridge. And do people do that out of a sense of belief, or do they do that out of a sense of tradition? Some do it out of tradition, mm. others do it because it's better to be safe. Yes. Because you don't know what will happen <laughs> if you don't. So you don't want to tempt fate, you yeah. just want to be careful. Yes. For you, is belief important? Does it matter in your writing whether you have personal beliefs in these things? Does it does it can change the style of your writing, do you think? I think that for me, one of the big questions I want to explore in my writing is if there's something to believe in, you know. I I often use my writing as a way to to look at these things, pick them up and and examine them and see, like, and and not believe in the actual creature, then what it symbolizes, what it it has become, what it is it embodies. So... um, um, thinking, especially if we go back to the Nook, which is the Scandinavian Kelpie, mm. uh, is often uh, um, associated with suicides and sad uh, abductions, and you know you have this. Uh, uh, so, what can you do with uh, with a Nook today? How can it be used mm. in fiction and still mean something to people? Yes, yes. Was this a big part of your life growing up? Did you find that superstition tradition was in the background in your life? No, but I did discover it myself. I was really into Scandinavian folklore as a child. Mm. So I was, I suppose I was the one in the family who actually knew things about this. <laughs> that was more than, but of course you would always have the stories about, oh, that rock over there, a troll threw it once. And it missed, so mm. now it's just lying there, you know. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's a troll who was hit by the sun, so now it's... Mm. So, you know, it's there in the landscape, yes. even if it's not in people's... Uh, at least not in their conscious beliefs. Mm. Mm. And do you have experiences of your own that you've drawn on as well? I remember reading... Uh, I think it was on your website that you'd spoken about having imaginary friends, for example, when, when you were little... Do, uh, are those kinds of experiences still with you and, and do they come out in your work? I think so. I think that my writing now is like my imagination harnessed. Yes. When I was yes. young, it, it ran wild and you know, all sorts <laughs> of unhappy outcomes. But now I have harnessed it and I can use it as a force for creation, which yes. is good. Yes. Oh, yes, it's excellent. Now, let's, let's talk about... The subject that you were talking about here yesterday, your your latest book. Tell everybody a little bit about the the plot and the background of, of your latest title. Um, the Witch in the Well is about two writers who are fascinated by the same local legend about a woman called Elizabeth Clark, who was uh, accused of child abduction in the 19th century. 
And she was acquitted of this, but because there were strange circumstances, the villagers decided that she had to be a witch, and they drowned her in a well. So that's why the book is called The Witch in the Well. <laughs> and these two writers, they are contemporary, and one of them is a social media influencer, and she has also written a book about how you can speak to your soul, so she's into this very modern type of spiritualism. Uh, while uh, the other one, she is the opposite. She she has really trouble getting along with people, and she is uh, I won't say an outcast, but she is the one everyone in the village are. They don't really like her much because she is not a very pleasant woman. And she, of course, wants to write about Elizabeth as this wronged woman, as a she wants to redeem her name. While the influencer, on the other hand, she thinks that, that thinks that Elizabeth was a witch, but a good one, in tune with nature, and yeah. she represents this positive magic. But as the novel progresses, it becomes increasingly clear that both of them are wrong, and that Elizabeth was something entirely different from what they thought. Was witchcraft big in the history of Scandinavia in the same way as it was across other parts of Europe with the the historic witch trials, for example, and and the the hunting of witches? And I put big inverted commas around around this theme. But um, was witchcraft very prevalent across your area of the country in the same way? Sadly, yes, yeah. it was. We had also had the, the witch hunts, mm-hmm. and um, especially up north, it was really bad in, in Norway. And I think it's one of the only places in, in the world where, uh, you know, the Sami people was uh, caught up in it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that, that has happened anywhere else, that uh, they were persecuted. Yes. And also yeah. a lot of male uh, Male witches. Yes, yes, that's the, across Iceland as well. That was the case, wasn't it? The percentage of witches who were male in that area, in your area, was much higher than it was further south across Europe. Yeah, I wonder why that is. I wonder if it has to do with the Sami population, because mm. the shamans among the Sami people they are male. Yes. So I think that's the reason why. So it would have, that that tradition would have worked its way down and, and become part of what's happening in Norway and, and across Scandinavia. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Tell me a little bit about your research process and your writing for, for this book. How, how do you go about doing your research and planning for a title like that? Well, usually my, my inspiration just happens in like sparks and yeah. I don't go hunting for them. But I remember that one of the inspirations for The Witch in the Well was that I heard about women who were not... You know, when you think about the women who were were killed during or accused on the just... um, You you think about these midwives or healers or you have this Mm. image in your head of someone sitting in a cottage in the woods and Mm. and doling out ointments. and, And then I heard about a type of accused who was accused just for being rude. Mm. You know, if you because women at that time were not supposed to to be rude or to be angry or to you know yell at people. Yes. So yes. when they did, that could could cause them to be you know if you argued with your neighbor and the neighbor's cow died, mm. you could be accused of witchcraft for being because you had argued. Mm. Uh, and I thought that was actually a kind of a victim of the tribes that I don't think has been extensively. 
written about mm. in fiction. Mm. Because, you know, who wants to write about the rude woman? I do. <laughs> I want to write about the rude women in history. So that was a big inspiration for this one. And was it easy to find the sorts of information that you needed to draw on in your fictionalization, Or was it more that you had to rely on your own sense of tradition and then work around that? And that's the charm with my speculative fiction, is that I usually just use things I already know. Right. And because I've always been interested in things like witchcraft and folklore... Mm. I already have this memory bank that I can. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be a good thing. If you know enough things about strange things, mm. you can create something new from all the strange pieces. Yes, yes, absolutely. Do you think, and this is something that's come up in, in talks that have happened here over the weekend, that actually you can do too much research sometimes for this sort of thing and, and that actually hampers your writing if you've done too much? Yeah, I think that could yeah. happen, yes. Yeah. And that it, you have to have some playfulness with it. You mm. have to be open to inspiration and impulses yes. while you work. Yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of increased interest, I think, in recent years in these sorts of topics, the sorts of topics that you write about in your speculative work, particularly ghost stories, stories that draw on folklore and on tradition and folk horror which is something we've talked about today too why do you think these stories are so important to people i think part of it is because we our planet is in in distress so i think that mm-hmm. the folk horror aspect can come in there as a way to you know to to reset the place mm-hmm. to be more aware of your surroundings mm-hmm. where you live and also that the nature is alive to give it, give it some, some uh, identity and soul mm-hmm. on its own. And I think that's something that we have lost over the years, and now it's coming back because we sort of need to respect it more. We need to, to feel nature mm-hmm. in a new way. And the landscape, I guess, is part of that overall sense of belonging or sense of place that we have, which kind of fits into that, isn't it? It helps to understand who we are in terms of our culture as well. Yeah, yeah the sense yeah. of self yes. in the nature. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. So you have uh, speculative fiction, a couple of titles there. You have your uh, crime work, a couple of titles there. What's next? What are you going to work on next? What are you working on next? I am working on another I'm really excited about, but I am not allowed to talk about it yet. But it does have ghosts. A lot of them, and witches, and wicked women, mm-hmm. and I think it's going to be very interesting. I think it's certainly got all the elements to be extremely interesting. How far along the process are you? The manuscript is completed. Excellent. But so it's out of my hands. Yes. Yeah. 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 So we can hope to see it maybe later this year. Maybe, or I next would think year. next year next will year. be a safer bet, yes. In the meantime, though, there are plenty of other things of yours that people can read if they haven't read them already. Where can people find out more information about you and your work? You can read about all my books on my website, which is camillabruce.com. And from there, you can go on to find them in stores. But they're usually everywhere where books are sold. Yes. 
So do head over to that website, camillabruce.com. I'll put a link to that on my website for you so that people can go and find you and find out more about your work. Camilla, thank you so much for taking the time out of what I know is a very busy day and busy schedule to have a little chat this morning. It's been lovely. Thank you so much for talking to me. You can find out all about Camilla and her work by visiting her website at camillabruce.com. Don't forget that you can also support our work and that of the Folklore Library and Archive by joining our Patreon page, where you'll find lots of extra content, and that's at www.patreon.com slash thefolklorepodcast. Or you can use the donation button on our website, or visit the Folklore Shop and buy some stuff. Thanks for listening. I'll see you again soon for the next regular episode of The Folklore Podcast.